0: Welcome to The Literary Life. I'm Mitchell Kaplan, and my guest this afternoon is a friend, a customer, and someone whose voice I heard way before I ever met her. Her name is Mamta Chaudhry. And the reason why I say that is that Mamta lives here in Carl Gables, and she's lived here with her husband Daniel for many, many, many years. uh, Prior to... Me even opening the bookshop, I was familiar with Mamta because Mamta, among her many, many talents, was also, I don't even know if you call them disc jockeys, but she was a host on our number one classical radio station when there were classical radio stations called Mm -hmm. WTMI here in Miami. And I'm talking going back into the early 80s prior to us opening our bookshop. And when Mamta came on, everybody listened because the music that she presented was beautiful and it matched the beautiful voice that she had. Uh, She's here with us today because she's about to debut her remarkable new novel called Haunting Paris. Mamta has went on from being a uh, host of classical radio stations to a distinguished career as a writer and teacher. She taught writing at the University of Miami, she studied with Marilyn Robinson, and she is about to debut her very first novel. Mamta, welcome to Literary Life, and tell me how you feel on the eve of the debut of this novel of yours.
1: Well. Um, I feel a lot of butterflies, but I also feel a lot of gratitude. And you know, part of my weekend routine has become um, listening to this podcast. So it feels sort of surreal to be actually on here as an author, and I'm delighted. And Rachel, you mentioned the radio station, the late lamented WTMI. One of the things that um, just recently I looked up a book by T.D. Allman called Miami City of the Future, And in that book, he talks about WTMI and he talks about this voice that accompanied him morning, noon, night when he was in Coral Gables. And for him, it sort of became a symbol of Miami, something that was not quite what it seemed. You know, it had a slight British accent, but clearly I wasn't from there. And he said, that's just what Miami is. Everybody is from somewhere else and becoming something else. So... uh, you know, I'm sort of a symbol for Miami's appeal to him, which is very nice, but it was a city of the future and now we're in the future, <laughs> you know, so it's kind of um, takes you back to imagine that he was looking ahead so many years to well, where we are.
0: I hate to say it, but 40 years ago, did you think that a novel would be in your future?
1: Oh, I certainly did. I just didn't know it would be this far into my future. And um, I sort of wrote all around it. I did everything that was almost fiction, but not quite, you know, like teaching, like uh, writing articles. I worked for the Miami Review and wrote um, film reviews. So I did a lot of writing that was not quite fiction. And then, I took the plunge into this thankless, penniless world, and I've never looked back. I've been thrilled. And it's been a long journey, as you know, um, for me to get to this point. And it's not my first book, but it's my first publication. And, you know, sometimes I used to think, this life, next life, when is it going to happen? But actually, it was worth waiting because I got the editor of my dreams, Nantalees. Loved the book from the moment she picked it up. And she helped make it a better book. So um, I guess I'm an object lesson in never, ever giving up. So any student who's listening, don't give up. You know, stick with your dreams.
0: Tell me about the book, Haunting Paris. Okay. What is it about?
1: Um, It's actually a ghost story that's not at all um, frightening. The ghost is not frightening. It's a love story, but not a romance. It's a mystery where the detective is a woman who's a pianist who sets off on a quest um, that was left unfinished. And so it is very many different strands woven into one. And I think um, one of the best pieces of writing advice I got early on, many, many years ago, was try and come up with a protagonist who's very different from you because that gives you the necessary distance so, um, I'm not French, I'm not Jewish, neither man nor ghost, and I put all four in as the um, one of the protagonists. And I think what it is, um, let me tell you one of the inspirations for the book, because it's very closely connected to Miami and to a person we both know well. Her name is Ruth Greenfield. She's a Miami icon in the music world. And when I was at the station, actually, I met her. And um, every time I would go to her place, she was playing the baccarole. So that was like her signature tune. And she and her husband, Arnold, had this long love affair with Paris. And um, they were actually married there by the grand rabbi of Paris. So they um, introduced us to Paris and started our long love affair with Paris, But one of the things, I guess this is my bent, you know, I see the city of light and I see all the sparkle and beauty and immediately I think about the shadows beneath. So what can I tell you? I'm the queen of the night, you know. So that's what um, really struck me was the very long shadow of anti-Semitism in France. And I didn't actually know how far back it went, And right now there's an exhibition on in um, New York called Auschwitz, not long ago, not far away. But this um, strain um, went way back, centuries back. And so, you know, as the Auschwitz um, Museum says, it doesn't start with the concentration camps. It starts with words, it starts with um, making people dehumanizing them. And we can see that now, you know, in today's um, world, when you call people vermin, when you call them less than human animals, then it sort of gives you um, the sense that it's okay to exterminate vermin, you know, so that's the, the, the trajectory of it. But The book also deals with the very beautiful aspects of Paris, everything that you think of, you know, um, music, great wine, um, just the best walks in the world where you can indulge in being a flaneur, going wherever you want with no fixed purpose. That's one of the best cities for just aimlessly wandering. And um, so all this together... Coalesced um, into a fascination. And one of the things that happens when you travel, you cannot um, unpack your obsessions from your suitcase. You know, they go with you wherever you are. And so some of my obsessions have been um, courage. What would it be to be the lone voice to speak up in a room? You know, how would you. We keep talking about, oh, somebody should do something. How would it be for the person who's the least likely, um, this pianist is sort of uh, very, very shy, almost pathologically shy. And for her to be the lone voice that speaks up struck me as quite remarkable. Well,
0: the thing you do so beautifully is you marry your interests so beautifully in this novel, your interest in Paris, your interest in music, and you created a structure that I'm sure did not did not come easily. You sure you had to figure out a way, an interesting way, in terms of exploring the time that you explored, in other words, you go backward, and that's not always the easiest thing to do.
1: No, and Mitchell, this is this is fascinating that you ask this because craft questions are like catnip to writers. You know, I could just talk about this a lot I wish I could say I'm like Elizabeth Warren I had a plan for that but I didn't but I persisted (laughs) just like her and so um one of the things you're right was working out going back and forth in time of course the two time periods that are very clear there are 1989 the bicentennial of the French Revolution and all Paris is set for this great parade um, when Sylvie embarks on her quest. And the other was 1942, which was when Paris was under Nazi occupation and, and you know, singing the Marseillaise was forbidden. So it's these two time periods. But there are also um, other times in history that are accessible to the ghost that are not accessible to to. um ordinary people
0: Th- was the ghost there from the beginning
1: the very beginning interesting and in fact a lot of people in writing groups were like it's a great story but get rid of the ghost <laughs> and i was i'm not so interested in the story it's it's this project of you know who can know what the truth is and it's it's almost like a Rashomon-like uh, project, you know, that you get different. Well, the uh, ghost
0: acts is kind of like the chorus, you know. It's he's the you know the, as you call him the revenant, which yes. is really uh, for me was extremely intriguing, which is what lifts this out of just being a historical novel in any real sense.
1: Yes, thank you. That's that's what I was hoping that giving it that structure and that liquid flow between past and present. In fact, there was even some back and forth about, should we have chapter headings, you know, 1989, 1942? And I said, but it's it's meant to be this sort of interpenetration of time. It's seamless, you know, for the ghost... Past and present exist in one moment, although he doesn't know the future, so he's not truly omniscient.
0: Well, it's kind of the way we all experience life. Mm-hmm. I mean, through memory. I mean, we all live as 17-year-olds and 60-year-olds simultaneously.
1: Exactly.
0: And the, all the, it depends how fresh those memories are mm-hmm. in, uh, as to how we experience whatever age we're thinking about. George Saunders did that very well. Lincoln and the Bardo, for instance.
1: Yes, absolutely. And, you know, that's that's one of the things about this palimpsest we have of <laughs> memory, that the old ones um, are still there even when they're painted over. And um, I think one of the, the things that's really exciting about dealing with memory is um, it is operatic because... Um, Peter Schaeffer in Amadeus, he says that any other art form, you know, you have to write down one um, line after another, one moment after another. But opera allows you to experience all these moments simultaneously in all these voices.
0: So, So let's get to that. So okay. music infuses much of your life. Yes. And so how much music, opera came into the writing of this um how did it you know it's very much a part of it Mm -hmm. but how much of it flowed naturally from who you are
1: i think that was one of the few things one one of the only things i didn't actually have to go out and say let me research this to get it in um i write always in silence i never listen to music when i'm writing although it listen to music all the time otherwise. But at the end of the book, I just found out that I had a soundtrack for the book, you know, that had come just instinctively, naturally. And I think that um, one of the things about the music is it was even the very beginning of the book. I don't know if you do this when you travel, but when I'm walking around, I'm always looking into lighted windows Imagining the lives within, and you know, always thinking those are perfect. Of course, you know, from the outside looking in, it. Always I have a looks horrible
0: perfect. habit as well. I imagine whether or not I could stay there
1: <laughs> if <laughs> I need right. not go
0: home <laughs> and just live wherever I am traveling.
1: Oh, okay. Well, that's
0: If that that's could true. become my home.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, imaginatively it does when yeah. you're there, you know, and you see these people. And so I heard this drift of music coming down. And I couldn't really see who was playing the piano, but I had this very strong vision of a man sitting there listening intently, and that's who became the ghost. So it all started with music, and in fact, um, even the rhythms in the language, even there are scenes with music, but uh, obviously there's not, you know, it's not all musical and beautiful. There are very harsh notes oh in no, it as it's well.
0: An, it's an incredibly moving story, too. And and I, my feelings, you have some of the most remarkable blurbs of any first novel that I've seen, everyone from Marilyn Robinson to Russell Banks to uh, Meg Clayton. And there's one by Jim Shepard, who I admire immensely. And what he wrote is similar to what I fe- felt about the book, Haunting Paris is not only a love letter to the Paris of birdcage elevators and wrought-iron peacocks, but also a submersion into one of the city's darkest periods, a visceral account of the quotidian labor of living with absence and a reminder of the myriad ways in which we encounter voices from beyond the grave. Mamta Chaudhry's novel is wonderfully moving. That's quite a, quite a, 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 a right-on-point uh, comment about this book. And coming from Jim, one of the great stylists and one of the great writers that we have, I think it should move everyone who's listening to this to make sure they go out and pick up a copy of Haunting Paris. It's, it's a book that I predict will be talked about for years to come, and it'll be a staple in book clubs for sure, and uh, book groups, and uh, I just can't wait for it to be published, which is happening within about a week or so. And I very much look forward to being able to make it available to my to my customers. I would like you to read the be the v- actual beginning of it, because I think the voice of the of the ghost is quite remarkable.
1: Thanks, Michelle. I'll read it in just one second, but let me um, just say something. Um, I was reading in, I think, the New York Times or Publishers Weekly or somewhere that the audio book market is going to be one of the biggest things um, in the book, uh, one of the biggest growth sectors in the book industry. And um, when they were going to record this book, they're doing um, an unabridged uh, version of the book. The publisher uh, and what am I saying the producer called me and she said that she liked the book very much and here are some voices would I listen to them and see if I thought that they captured the sense of the book and you know having been on radio having been on stage I thought oh this is great I get to be on the other side of the audition process for once you know I can help choose and the two people they picked uh, one is Lisa Flanagan who is an opera singer, a musician, fluent in French. So I thought, gosh, you know, this resume could have been written for this book. And the other is Daniel Oreskes, who's a stage actor in New York, who who just did a wonderful recording of um, a book that I really admire. It's um, Irene uh, Irene Nemirovsky's Suite Francaise, which also is sort of uh, an underpinning for this book. So um, I listened to a clip of it, and it will be available also on the 18th on Libro FM. That's the only place that people are going to get it, which
0: right? Which is great, because Libre FM is the indie alternative to Audible. So you can go to any of their independent bookstores' websites to get it, including booksandbooks.com.
1: Right. And so there was just this one little clip they played, which isn't the part I'm going to read. But it was maybe a minute. It's on my website, mamthachaudhary.com. And I will tell you that Daniel and I just stumbled upon this clip. He was checking something or the other. And he said, hey, look, they've got a little clip up. And we listened. And we both almost jumped out of our skin at one particular point in that little clip. So talk about ghostly.
0: But you didn't tell us who they chose.
1: Oh, they did choose these two, Lisa Flanagan. Oh, the two of them, are Yes, reading it that, together. and that was the gotcha. surprise to me that the ghost, they chose a different voice and gotcha. then the third person narrator. So I, I couldn't be happier with the casting and the fact that it's going to be on Libro FM. So, in addition to pushing just IndieBound and your local bookstore, I want to make sure you get this, if you get the audiobook version, also from an independent bookselling source. They call us revenants, those who return. Restless for this world, we pass each other in mute recognition, for to be silent and solitary is our essential condition. But death doesn't end our thirst for a human touch, a human voice calling our name. And so I haunt these familiar caves, this familiar river, Music drifts down from Sylvie's window, and I linger until it comes to an end. The scent of lilacs on the breeze stirs dormant phantoms to life, but music is sorcery more potent. Though bound to time's measure, it exists on a plane beyond time where there is no past and no future. There is only the present in which the dead revisit this world. Night after night, I wait until the last notes fade away and Sylvie comes to the window at last. I retreat into the shadows as one after another the beautiful mansions along Quai d'Anjou spring to light, transforming those in the gloom below into a throng of ghosts. Occasionally, a passing figure pauses in a pool of lamplight to light a cigarette or glance at a watch. Squandered time, the most enduring of regrets, In the end, a lifetime is not enough. The heart yearns for more. Who can reason with desire? The heart has its reasons that reason cannot know.
0: Oh, so beautiful. And so beautifully read. I think we just uh, have to have people who've been on the radio (laughs) here on the podcast (laughs) from now on. But really, that's from Haunting Paris. This is Mamta Chaudhary. But let's talk a little bit about you, because your background is so interesting. I mean, you've lived in Miami for so many years, probably more than you've lived anywhere else. Correct. But you are not from Miami, nor are you from the United States originally. You were born...
1: In Calcutta. In born, Calcutta. brought up. Um, I went to school there. I went to uh, college there, Loreto College for Girls, and... I will say that one of the most gratifying things about having the book to come out is to be this late-blooming credit to the fabulous teachers I've had in Calcutta, in Florida, um, in New York with uh, Marilyn Robinson. I have been blessed uh, with wonderful teachers, and so, that is a sacred gift.
0: So when did you leave Calcutta? I left and Calcutta. For what reason? Did
1: to you come leave? here to graduate school, to the University of Florida... I went there to get a master's in uh, journalism and communications. And even then, uh, I wrote for the Independent Florida Alligator, which was the school newspaper. Even then, I was attracted more to the feature um, articles rather than hard news. And at that time, new journalism was all the vogue, you know, Tom Wolfe. Gator lease, and get this, his wife is now publishing Your me. Editor, so. <laughs> exactly. yeah, so, Your editor, exactly, publisher. Right, so now we get into this, this sort of, you know, the circle closing. And then I met, in one of my graduate classes, I met Daniel uh, Fryer, who immediately succumbed to his fate, did not fight it at all. And so he carried my books then when I was writing my master's thesis. He's carrying them now. The poor thing reads every single draft. And let me tell you, I'm OCD when it comes to revisions. So this man's devotion is beyond question.
0: So you and Daniel met... In in graduate school, yes, we did. that I didn't realize. Yeah, yeah, we he's, had a class he's together. An, he was an environmentalist, right? Or he he studied he studied water engineering and other sorts of right. Thing. He
1: worked for the water department, but more in the management side of I it. I see. Yeah. So at and and he's a wonderful photographer. Right. If he's very
0: accomplished. Yes,
1: he's actually. Remember, he had a an exhibition of his India photographs. I do here remember that at Books and Books. Uh, on one of your gallery nights, and so there was a good you came
0: down to Miami together. Yes. and but you when did you develop your love for music? Did that start happening in India when you were a young girl? Did you play music? Oh,
1: listen, this is this is my big regret. You know, uh, writing about music, playing music, announcing music is like the next best thing to being a musician. and i I can't sing for toffee. I can't carry a note. So I feel that I've come into my own, just by being, rubbing shoulders with music. And this was also in Calcutta. I used to be on a a radio station there and we used to do pop music at that time. And um, I would always slide into um, the grown-up studio where they were doing classical music Mm. and listen to that. And actually, Calcutta has a very vibrant um, Western classical music scene as well as an Indian classical music scene. So that's... You know, that influence has stayed with me. And then I worked at the um, university radio station in Gainesville. I worked here. And then when Daniel went to get his MBA in um, Texas, I worked at a station in Dallas. So um, I worked at a few.
0: Well, you know that, that, well, you know it, but the listeners don't. I know it because I've been there. You're a remarkable cook as well in terms of uh, mostly Indian food that I've had at your house. And Indian culture is something that that infuses everything you do. So the question is, it begs the question, Mm -hmm. why not a book that takes place in India?
1: Well... That's a lovely question, and I have the perfect answer. I'm writing it now. (laughs) In fact, I did write one before. It came very close, but it didn't get picked up. Um, And so I moved on to other things, thinking, you know, the heck with that. I'm going to do something light and bright and sparkling, and within three pages, I'm in the pit of hell again. Mm -hmm. But um, I think that it is true... um, that you take your obsessions with you. So if um, I'm writing about Miami or Calcutta or Paris, I'm exploring what to me is interesting about those cities, you know, and the cities come into it as a character based on those interests.
0: Well, I found that extremely refreshing as well to be able to read about your take on Paris and the dark history that, that exists there mm-hmm. uh, through your perspective, which mm-hmm. is a different world perspective than a lot of people have. Right so, and I, sorry. And I think that was extremely brave of you and you did it so beautifully successfully as well.
1: Well thank you. We'll see what the French say, but <laughs> you know I think one of the things that you get a purchase on a place, when you're on the outside, an outsider can often see things very, very clearly in a way that when you're in the situation, you're sort of too close to get a bead on it. And to go back to the cooking, I wish I wrote the way I cook, okay, because I have no angst tied to it. I don't follow recipes, I just put stuff together and... Here's the great thing: if there is no pressure, because if it turns out rotten, there's always pizza. But there's <laughs> no failsafe with writing, you know. Well,
0: if it makes you feel any better, the uh, reading the book makes it seem like you wrote it with lots of ease. Oh, good! I'm glad <laughs> that let's it let's didn't make, it didn't make me want to feel like I had to run out and get a pizza either okay. after I read <laughs> well, that's it. It good. was extremely fulfilling. Um, so, Momta, tell me what's next after this comes out. You're working on another novel now.
1: I am. And, uh, you know, this is, this is the part of the whole book thing that when you're sitting there facing rejection and you come to Books and Books and you sit in the audience and you listen to these wonderful writers who are on tour and they tell you, ah, writing it was the best part, all this touring, and you're thinking... Wait, don't say that. We are all sitting here dying to be in your shoes, you know. And so I'm doing like a little bitty tour, and I'm trying very hard to just enjoy this moment that I have wanted so much for so long, and it's here. So trying not to ruin it with my usual, you know, hand-wringing. And then on to the next book.
0: Well, let's, you know, one of the ways that I I like to... to to um, end and and the conversation as well as to find out particularly from readers like you who are remarkable readers because I know your your taste is impeccable what are you reading now oh. uh, are you a, are you able to <laughs> given the fact that you're about to go on tour but who are some of the people that you're obsessed with as a, as a reader
1: okay did you see the uh, recent new yorker cartoon where Um, on his and her bedside tables. They have like this pile of books. And I just feel that the revenge of the books, the unread books, are going to topple over one night and conk me on the head because I have this pile. In fact, um, Tayari Jones's um, American Marriage is very much on that list and she just won the Women's Prize. So many great writers um, and so many Miami writers. One of the Strangest things I can tell you is that in um, 2016, when I felt uh, sort of Paul cast over much of what I was feeling, I went and pulled out uh, the complete works of Shakespeare, which I hadn't read in a long time. And in fact, you'll see that um, the Shakespeare sonnets are uh, part of part of haunting Paris because one of the characters is an English professor. No surprise. Um, And it helped me so much to put things in perspective. I've always loved the tragedies. I've loved some of the comedies. But this time, given the political situation, what spoke to me was the histories. You know, looking at this long arc of a realm under siege and how, in time, balance is restored. But it goes through upheavals. And that was the most... um, the most solace I could find at a difficult time.
0: Hmm. You mean our difficult time? That's what the, I'm talking <laughs> Yeah, Or the difficult time in the novel. No,
1: no, no. I'm talking that that related specifically to the current situation. And I think... Well, um, there's a
0: similar situation in India right now. Oh, too. my
1: goodness. Oh, don't even get me started. It seems like um, one of the things about India was this, when we're talking about anti-Semitism, I grew up in a city filled with... Synagogues, mosques, temples, gurdwaras, churches, cathedrals, cheek by jowl, people just living their lives, you know, and it was not an issue. And all of a sudden, it's like this is a Hindu country. Well, it's a Hindu majority country. America might be a Christian majority country, but by the constitution... All faiths are equal in both cases. So, all right. No, I'm not going to talk politics because I get <laughs> agitated, and this is, you know, I'm agitated enough about. Yeah. Let this. The let
0: this. Let this podcast for today be a respite yes. from yes. everything we're hearing about. Correct, and in, it is in the world.
1: And books are a respite. You know, sometimes you think, does it matter? Does music matter? Does art matter? Do books matter when the world's going to hell? And it's the only thing that matters. It's the only thing that can, you know, stop the skids.
0: So. Wonderfully put. They also act as a cathartic vehicle for us when we're going through difficult times. Mamta, haunting Paris is your book, and I just wish you the best of luck as you travel this journey with your debut novel. Thank, thank you. Thank you for being with us on the Literary Life.